internet friends and welcome to Love Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and normally we would be coming to you uh, telling you how to uh, brighten your day, brighten your day, anger your souls, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. Why was that hard for me? Because we haven't done this in a minute, Alex. <laughs> haven't we? Haven't recorded in like a month. We had a nice back catalog, and that was helpful, but you know. Uh, but this time we're not doing that. This time we are strictly trying to brighten your day by talking about uh, one of our triple love topics. And we'll get to that in a second. But in the meantime... Alex. Andy. We haven't recorded this in about a month. You're right. So a crucial thing has happened since our last recording. You're talking about me turning 33 or the Queen of England dying? Well, we don't celebrate monarchs here, so I'm, of course, tur- talking about your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know if you're serious or not. <laughs> oh. And that's how I like to keep it. No, I mean, I, I was going to just talk about briefly, uh, yeah, the Queen of England died. <coughs> um, the Queen of England died, which is making my rewatch of The Crown very awkward. That is interesting. You started a rewatch of The Crown. Like, how far are you into the rewatch? Are you still season one? Halfway through season two. Okay. And you started this, what, like, a couple months ago? A month Uh, or two ago? Yeah, like a month or two ago. We've been... Ryan and I have been pretty consistently made that our, our show to watch because we had never seen the last three seasons. Mm hmm Never seen the last three seasons. And wanted to just go ahead and change that just 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 cause just because it's it is a quality program. Oh sure. But in the middle of all that, <laughs> uh, Lizzie has gone to the great beyond. So my favorite story, and you know this, my favorite thing surrounding her death is that Philip died seventeen months prior. Right. And he has been sitting in a royal refrigerator. For all of that time. Because even into the grave, he cannot go before his wife. Indeed. They're going to be interred together. But until she died, he was just sitting in a fucking refrigerator. Probably looked better than he did the past couple months. I mean, you know, in fairness, they they, they like to clean him up and all of that. But that, that is my favorite bit of this. Beyond that, we're recording this uh, halfway through September. Queen has just recently died. It's going to be coming out sometime later, so I'm sure that we'll have encountered some other bullshit. But so far, um, the new King Charles III (laughs) is um, proving himself to be quite insipid. Yes, quite insipid indeed. And before that, we can talk about King Charles III. Before that, I want to just share with you and the listeners, the Queen's death is costing... England, nine million pounds because they're spending that on her funeral. Because they're spending that on their fu- on her on her funeral, they are postponing certain things. There's no sport to be had the week that she died. <coughs> Shit like that. Just like some somebody did an analysis, and like net loss is at least nine hundred million pounds just because this woman has died. Oh no, I'm I'm hearing stories about like. All manner of events being canceled. There's people like discouraging anyone from doing any kind of tourist travel. Yeah. 
from riding their goddamn bikes in the streets. You're, basically, the idea is there is to be no fun at all to be had, especially if you are an aide of the new king, Prince Charles, and he, like, very pissily waves at you while you are setting, you're clearing his table because you're not doing it fast enough. I'm... So this is a difference between, like, certain white people and certain not-white people. Because in the culture that I come from, yes, we mourn. But at funeral, I have seen dancing at sure. the wake of a funeral. Because this is what we do. We want to celebrate a life. We want to treat this as an occasion to gather with the people we care about and really, like... Yes, collectively mourn, collectively feel that sadness, but then at the end of that is supposed to be a release, and in that release, there's the experience of maybe not joy, but gratitude at continuing to live, gratitude at knowing this person who passed away, and there is celebration in that moment. And these white people want the entire country to be sad because a 96-year-old woman died. Yes, and I'm going to highlight specifically those white people. Because the day it happened, there was video leaking from Ireland of them singing and cheering <laughs> and dancing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's... This could be its own topic. Honestly, there's enough to talk about. We did an entire segment on the Roy British royal family. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> Um, but just just the fact that like this is the first like first of all the cult of personality regarding the queen as a concept as an ideal that is one thing that watching the crown has really beaten into my head and reminded me of just how much like they put the concept of royalty on a pedestal this is the first queen to die in the internet age yeah. this is the first queen to die in the televised age yeah I mean you have to like when did she start her reign it was in the 50s yes like and she is the longest running british monarch in history Which, her son is the oldest british monarch to ascend to the throne which, of course, like going back to her reigning for 70 years being the longest mark in history, I guarantee you there are a lot of British people who take that as a like, and that means she was the best. She did the longest. Clearly, she was the best. Wish we could have kept one or two more of the colonies, but... I mean, the thing is, why was she so... Why was she in the chair for so long? She was in the chair for so long because she took it so young... Because her dad got sick. And I would argue because the position stopped meaning quite as much in the same way somewhere around the middle of her reign. I mean, the position didn't... What that position meant was already shifting before she had took she took the throne. Right. I didn't want to say took power because the power of the monarchy is like... You know what it is? It's fucking Voldemort. Mm. The power... There is a power there. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of the power comes from the people who are investing 
into it. Mm-hmm. The people who invest stock and value and care into it. The power of Voldemort is supposed to be the fact that he is so terrifying, no one will say his goddamn name. The power of the queen is that there are enough people in power who still give a shit about right monarchy. Yeah. And the interesting thing is like you can scroll Twitter there, there have been, like, these person on the street, like, let's just flag down random people and get their opinions on, on this. And it's interesting because if they're live streaming it, they run into so many examples of people on the street who are just like, yeah, I don't really care that the queen is dead. It does not affect my life. Right. And these are people who live in, like, London or live in major metropolitan areas of England or even in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Just stopping random people in the street and a good chunk of them are just like, either fuck her or, oh, that's sad. Oh, well, okay. Like, like they're, they're like, oh, it's sad that a famous person died. They'd have the exact same opinion if Ringo Starr died. And I'm going to be so much sadder when Ringo Starr dies and he's in his late 80s like he's going soon too. I was about to say, like, probably more people will mourn Ringo Starr than the Queen around the world. I might take a day off work when Ringo Starr dies. I will definitely take a day off work when Paul McCartney dies. Oh, sure. Both of them, I believe, have been knighted by the Queen. Both of them, to get us back on topic, have appeared in The Simpsons. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you want to take that as our segue? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, so... This is an episode that ends in a five. This is our 95th episode. Andy, we've almost done a hundred of these. I know, I'm shocked. (laughs) And we have something big planned for our hundredth episode. Big in terms of topic. We're not, it's still just going to be you and me talking into a microphone. Oh, yeah. With you putting like fun little drops in the middle. Where I can. For our 95th episode, we want to do a triple love special. And this one, this is a big one. Because this is a cornerstone. I have wanted to do this episode since, like, episode 86. Because this would have been episode 85 if it was before then. I wanted to do... I've wanted to talk about The Simpsons with you for so damn long. So, not to bury the lead, but our triple love special, the thing we're going to spend the next, oh, I don't know, roughly 80-ish minutes talking about, is going to be The Simpsons. Now... To give the most basic of backgrounds, because we care about that sort of thing here, created by Matt Groening, a man of whom I suggest we say very little, given his connections to Jeffrey Epstein and the fact that he stopped show running after season two, though he has been a creative consultant ever since and did co-write the movie, The Simpsons is the longest running American animated series, American sitcom, an American primetime TV show in history. It debuted as a series of shorts for the Tracy Ullman Show, which was terribly underrated. I'm going to say that. Tracy Ullman Show holds up. Never actually seen it, but I, I'll take your word. Oh, God. Tracy Ullman, Tim Conway, like that. Uh, it, it was fantastic. Anyway, uh, it debuted as a series of shorts for the Tracy Ullman Show in 1987 before being given a series order for Fox in 1989. 
That first season was only 13 episodes, but it quickly became a worldwide success and the network's first tentpole show. You have to remember, around this time, Fox was a brand new network. Right. And the thing about Fox was that their entire pitch was, we're not like NBC. We're not like CBS. We're going to show shows with some edge to them, like Married with Children. And The Simpsons. We're going to show shows that have, like, sad, Roseanne, Mm -hmm. sad characters, characters who are dealing with shit, real America. Claims that she forgot she was carrying that bottle of delicious bourbon, brownest of the brown liquors. So tempting. What's that? You want me to drink you, but I'm in the middle of a trial. And then we're going to put on Rush Limbaugh for you. That's Fox News, which is the same company, but a different network. I see, what you're, I see what you're talking about. Fair enough. Now, the show follows the adventures of the Simpsons family. Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa, and Maggie. All named after Groening's own family, with Bart serving as the sub for himself. As well as the various denizens of the town of Springfield, where they live. It's incredibly hard to nail down any one elevator pitch for the show, given that in 30-plus years, it's transformed numerous times. And unlike, say, Bob's Burgers, which we've also talked about on this show, where I could run down the main cast and most of the extended cast in a few minutes, there are literally hundreds of Simpsons characters and storylines to choose from just in the first 10 or 12 years. I can remember going to like Walmart when I was a kid and like my parents taking a shopping there and looking through the posters and seeing a poster, keeping in mind, this was probably pre 2000. Mm -hmm. I was probably 10 years old at most and seeing a poster from the Simpsons that was literally like maybe 200 characters just crammed onto it. For a good chunk of time, that poster hung above my bed. It's a classic poster. And the thing is, it's been updated because it keeps getting bigger. The show has been running that long. But even just with that first 10 or 12 seasons, you have hundreds of characters to go from. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the 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 simplest pitch you could give is it's the animated misadventures of the Simpson family. Because to get into it any more than that, you have to start talking about the Simpson family which even just listing off the traits of the five characters becomes more than an elevator pitch. I mean, yeah. And the fact is, like, okay, so this wasn't in my notes, but I'm, I'm the voice actor guy. I think about the voice cast for The Simpsons. There are five primary voice cast members, and you would think, oh, there's five family members, but the fifth one is Harry Shearer. Mm-hmm. Harry Shearer does not voice any Simpsons character. Maggie does not actually have lines. Maggie just sucks on a pacifier because she's right. a baby. But Harry Shearer is Montgomery Burns, is Reverend Lovejoy, is Ned Flanders. While he is not a Simpson, any of the Simpson characters, he is so many of the most important sure. characters of the entire show that you just kind of go... Yeah, okay. Like same thing with Hank Azaria. Like Hank right. Azaria, I feel like is a primary cast member and he doesn't voice any Simpsons character, but he's Chief Wickham. He's Mo. He's so many of 
unfortunately, he was all poo for most of the time. For the longest time, yeah. Yeah. So, I, 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 to talk about The Simpsons through the lens of the family is important, but to do so is to lose most of what the show is kind of about in a big bad way. Yeah, I mean, if, if you are unfamiliar with The Simpsons, I don't think we're going to be able to effectively convey what they are in this episode. We might be able to effectively convey what you should and should not watch because there is a correct answer to that question. You know what? That's fair. And actually, that segues me perfectly into how I wanted to start this conversation. Okay. So um, Andy and I, whenever we do these triples, we end up exchanging notes that are a lot more kind of uh, wide-ranging and arguably disorganized. But I feel like I have a place that I want to start with this. Speaking of those first 10 or 12 years of The Simpsons, they are generally considered the golden era of the show. I, I personally, and this is my pitch, and any of you who are Simpsons fans, David, I'm talking to you, um... Any of you who are Simpsons fans, you have an era of The Simpsons that you care about the most. Yeah. I have a pitch for what I consider to be the three eras of the show. The character era, the perfect era, and what I will refer to as either the decline or the rest of the show. Okay. So, run with me on this. The character era begins with the first episode. Simpsons roasting on an open fire. Those of you who are big Simpsons fans, this was the Christmas episode. It is the first episode of the series. It is the episode where the Simpsons get a dog. And the whole premise of the show is that they need money for Christmas. So Homer goes out to this dog racing place and ends up betting it. Like, I'm actually summarizing the end of the episode more or less, but... At the end of the episode, they end up adopting a race a race dog named Santa's Little Helper, who is the dog for the rest of the show. From Simpsons roasting on an open fire, it continues through the first three and a half seasons. Now, this grouping can at times be a mixed bag, especially early on. I've said this to you many times. First season Simpsons, those first 13 episodes, they are rough. Yeah, and I, I let's so let's take a minute, let's pause into this and like really get into that because it it is true. It's not to divulge too much, but I sit here and try to think of a adult animated sitcom that prepared, pre- premiered before The Simpsons because I don't think there is one. Um. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm struggling to think of one my own self. And to speak to that, this was a brand new thing. No one had ever done this, so there's really no idea for <coughs> what you need in terms of budget or scope of work. There's no... And first of all, you're, you're dealing with late 80s animation standards. All of this to say the first season, it, it is it is bad. It is bad. It looks old. It looks its age. There's so much stuff that is like them clearly finding their way. Numerous characters are the wrong, like, are a different skin color and hair color than they are for the remainder of the show. The one that comes to mind is Smithers. Yeah, Uh, Smithers was black in the first couple episodes that he appeared in. Right, the, the stories are a lot more like... 
dated, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And the jokes kind of go with it. But it's just, it is just like, honestly, you could and probably should, if you want to enjoy it, skip the first season of The Simpsons. Well, well okay. I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Because there are moments in the first season of The Simpsons that are solid. Yes, I agree. I I think Simpsons roasting on an open fire is a fine opener. Um, I think of Bart the Genius, which is the second episode. And I've got all this pulled up. I'm not yeah. doing this all from memory. But that's the episode where Bart switches his uh, tests with Martin. Right. So that Martin's genius score looks all great. And, you know, and, and, and that makes uh, Bart look like he's incredibly intelligent. And Martin looks terrible. And then Bart gets sent off to, like, this other school for gifted children that he's absolutely miserable in. That's a solid episode. Um, I'm going to say, I just realized this. Episode 12 is uh, Krusty Gets Busted, the episode that introduces Sideshow Bob. Mm, Sure. But get this. Krusty was illiterate, and the guy who robbed the store was reading the Springfield Review of Books. Ah, well, Bart. The fact is you don't have to be able to read to enjoy the Springfield Review of Books. Just look at these amusing caricatures of Gore Vidal and Susan Sontag. By the way, that episode was written by Brad Bird. Which is very fun trivia night facts. For those of you who don't know, Brad Bird is the director of uh, and creative mind behind such franchises as The Incredibles, Ratatouille, and The Iron Giant. He is like Disney's golden child when it comes to doing anything animated these days. And he's just... Yeah, and... He wrote that episode in season one. All this to say, season one has its moments, but fuck, it's rough. And that is why, like, honestly, okay, so Krusty gets busted. That is, like, one of the very few long-form plot threads that that the show has. And admittedly, you can watch more or less any episode with Sideshow Bob in the first few seasons, and they kind of summarize his yeah. storyline anyway. So you're not going to be missing too much if you don't see... I'm pretty sure I've only seen Krusty Gets Busted, like, twice, whereas I've seen Cape Fear a hundred times. I've seen the episode with um, David Hyde Pierce a thousand times. I love yeah. that episode. Like The episode where he tries to marry Selma, or Patty, rather. Uh, no, Selma. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And it's, it's, you, you get better Sideshow Bob moments later. I think the second appearance of Sideshow Bob, they literally like clip show explain I think so. his whole deal. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I would agree that like season one has its merits. I, I particularly, I do really like. Um, the Crepes of Wrath, which is the one where, where Bart, Bart goes to France, where Bart goes to France, and he has a horrible, awful time there, and winds up having like this tearful epiphany as he realizes he knows how to speak French all of a sudden. Yeah, it's it, it is affecting. It is it is not without some joy, but it is so clear that they are flying by the seat of their pants, and things get. So remarkably better the second you go into season two. It's not perfect. No, season two opens with the first Treehouse of Horror Halloween special. 
I will argue the first Treehouse of Horror is not the best Treehouse of Horror by a fairly wide margin, but it is a it is a new tone for the show, and it is very it is it is a marked step up in quality. Sure, I think of two cars in every garage and three eyes on every fish, which is a like, which I would maybe argue is one of the first like truly classic episodes like. That is the one where Mr. Burns, like, decides that he is going to run for mayor, basically to avoid having the nuclear power plant get regulated, and there's the three-eyed fish, which is one of the iconic images of the entire show. I was going to say, that's one of the visual shorthand mascots of The Simpsons. Yeah. It's, it's solid. Season two is much better, but I will argue, into those first three and a half seasons, you still have a lot of that roughness a lot of that shit that just doesn't quite hit the way it eventually does i think um an episode you and i saw not that long ago was bart versus thanksgiving Mm. which i just don't think is a very good episode and that's a season two episode you know that's after the treehouse of horror that's after um the three-eyed fish episode sure so okay so we I, I want you to get, get, I, I want you to get your whole point out so that I can bring up my slight disagreement. <laughs> That's fair. So the character era, I argue, we get some iconic moments. We get Homer eating the blowfish. We get flaming Moe's. We get Mister Plow, which you called one of your favorite episodes. It absolutely is. We get iconic moments of the relationships between characters. We get Lisa and Homer's difficulties connecting. We get Marge and Homer's complicated relationship with what they are in each other's lives. We get Bart as a struggling human and not just an agent of chaos. There's a lot of good in the character era. And this is maybe the period of the show that is most focused on character moments. Have you ever heard, and this isn't in the notes, but have you ever heard of the concept of jerk-ass Homer? I think I've heard that term. I'm not familiar with it. So jerk-ass Homer is um, something that came up, I think, a lot in Reddit threads, but they basically kind of argue that there is a point in Homer's characterization in particular where he kind of flanderizes himself. That already being an interesting term. Sure. But he kind of just becomes this mean-spirited dope. And people regularly compare the Homer of those first few seasons. The Homer who ate the blowfish and thought that he was going to die. Mm. And is incredibly sweet and kind and caring. The Homer who has anger issues, yes, but deeply loves his family, deeply cares about Lisa, despite the fact that he doesn't really understand her. The Homer who sees Bart's struggles and gives a shit about them, but also, even while he's struggling with his anger about Bart. Like, people compare that Homer to the later Homer, who's just kind of strangle-strangle, dopey-growly, and they go, okay, that's jerk-ass Homer. That's the Homer. Okay, okay. Like, like there are people who get upset about that character. They'll still call that the good era of The Simpsons, but they'll basically say Homer becomes the worst part of himself in that point like he becomes the worst version of himself okay yeah i can see that yeah so that's the character era for me for me the character era ends 
And the perfect era begins with season four, episode 12. You knew I was going to talk about it. Marge <laughs> versus the monorail. You know, a town with money is a little like the mule with a spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it and danged if he knows how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> mule. Which I'll go ahead and say right now is easily probably a top three episode of the entire show. I was going to say top five, but I appreciate you putting it in the top three. Written by Conan O'Brien, it is a huge shift in the writing for the show. Mm -hmm. More visual gags. I think about that show, I think about that episode, and I remember, like, in the first two minutes, you get a visual gag where Mr. Burns and Smithers are stuffing, like, nuclear waste into trees, and then you pan over, and there's a tree with With tentacles. tentacles. (laughs) Just... No, no words about it. Uh-huh. It's just the perfect visual gag. Right. And that that one moment is this huge shift for the show. I think that's the first time in the show where they veer away from like... We, when we talked about King of the Hill, we talked about how that was a show that you could film in live action without any special effects. Sure. You could take those scripts and you could shoot them in live action. Yes, occasionally people are in explosions or they're on fire or they get weirdly injured in grotesque ways, but like you could film that without much in the way of special effects. Yeah. Marge versus the monorail, at least to my head, is the first time, I guess with the exception of the three-eyed fish, that you really have something that is outside the pale of human reality. And it's that moment in Marge versus the Monorail where the show shifts. That's a very interesting take and way of putting it. Okay. I will say real quick, that episode is the first like animated adult cartoon episode that convinced me you could actually like do a musical segment and it would actually work. Oh, sure. Until I got to Bob's Burgers. Oh my God, the Phil Hartman-led monorail song. It's amazing. It's going to be the drop. Oh God, rest in... Main Street's still all cracked and broken. Sorry, Mom, the mob has spoken. Peace, Phil Hartman. So you got more visual gags alongside tighter and snappier writing. That's the episode where you get the monorail completely like out of control and Marge calls Homer, who's the monorail op- operator, and is just like, Homer, I have someone on the line who can help. Is it Batman? No, it's a scientist. Batman's a scientist. It's not Batman. It just... It's snappier writing. It's so much more like that's the point where you're starting to get like three, four, five jokes per page of script. Sure. It is 30 rock levels of dense. This was an era largely defined by showrunners Al Jean and Mike Rice really finding their swing and bringing in writers like Conan O'Brien. Harvard educated and comedy home. Mm-hmm. That becomes the theme of the Simpsons writer's room. You get people who are really educated, incredibly smart, really high-level thinking, but they've also spent time in the trenches doing sketch comedy, doing stand-up, doing writing for movies, doing writing for TV, doing punch-ups for, for movies, getting real solid comedy chops alongside how smart they are. Mm-hmm. 
This would be the era of Lisa the Vegetarian, of Who Shot Mr. Burns, Homer's Enemy, the episode with Frank Grimes, and Brother from Another Series, which is the David Hyde Pierce Sideshow Bob episode. Sure. The, what I will call the most classic episodes, the best gags, the best moments. I can pull up any list of episodes from these eight-ish seasons, and any of them will be iconic. And and to that point, like, before this, you and I got a burger, we had some dinner, and we put on um, A Star is Burns, which is a season six episode, which is also famous for being the one where they cross over... With, with the critic. The, with the critic, the John Lovitz animated cartoon. Which is also show run by Al Jean and Mike Rice. And it's a phenomenal episode. It's an amazingly funny episode. And, like, at least two iconic memes that are still around to this day just pop out of that episode like nothing. Yeah. You get Boo Earns, and I don't remember <laughs> the other one, but it's it's something, like, it is just gold. It is just the best. This is the era we're talking about. This is the, when when you want to show someone The Simpsons, you... You would do you could do worse than starting someone off at certain episodes around season two. You really could do worse. I think you're right. I think you could largely skip season one without too much issue. No. Like, yes, there are good moments in it, but eh. Like I said the same thing about the first season of King of the Hill. Like, it really just animation-wise. It's stilted, it's dry. Most shows, I would say probably Futurama is like the rare exception, but most animated adult comedy sitcom shows, you can pretty much bypass the first season. I guess Rick and Morty would be like the other one. Where Rick and Morty, I'd say Rick and Morty, Futurama, BoJack Horseman, mm. And Bob's Burgers. Those are probably the four where I'm like, you can actually legit watch from the first season. Sure. Simpsons, you you would do worse than starting somewhere in season two. But if you started somebody off with Marge versus the Monorail, and you continued them on for around eight seasons, it's an almost perfect show. Yeah, that's fair. My my take on this, because we, we had a slight disagreement, I would argue the perfect era starts in season two. Maybe that's me. I have a lot of love for season two. Bart Gets an F, which is the first episode, is one of the most humanizing Bart Simpson episodes. I do not like that episode oh, nearly as much. I, I think that, that episode, episode is vastly overrated. Okay, oh, fair enough. You get the first Treehouse of Horror, which I have a lot of love for. Um, Dancing Homer, Dead Putin Society, which is like one of the first really great Flanders episodes. <laughs> the, the point is, we, we agree about this. I, I would argue... Season two is not without its merits. Season three is also great. That's where you get Mr. Plow. Um, but so so mileage may vary on when the show starts peaking, but it is somewhere in those first couple seasons. Okay. I'm not see I'm not mad about that. Because while I don't love Bart gets an F, 
I think if you started at Treehouse of Horror, if you started at Two Cars in Every Garage, I'm looking at a list of season two episodes right now. Sure. Um, Bart versus Thanksgiving is not that good. Um, one Fish, Two Fish, Blowfish, Bluefish is a great episode. That is a good, very good episode. That is a great, great episode. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? With Homer's half-brother, Herb. Great episode. Like, these are some truly, truly splendid pieces. Itchy and Scratchy and Marge, where Marge tries to get Itchy and Scratchy cartoons banned. I, I love that episode. I'm not mad about thinking to start someone off in season two. Yeah. I just don't think that's where the perfect run. Okay. All right. So where does the perfect run end? The perfect run. The perfect era for me. I'd close it with season 12, episode 9, H-O-M-R. Best known as the episode where Homer discovers he has a crayon lodged in his nose. In preparation for this episode, you and I watched that episode. Indeed. I argue this to be the last truly great episode of the show. An opinion that much of the internet does not share with me. Most people seem to think that the um, the principal and the pauper mm-hmm. is the moment where the show kind of jumps the shark. I believe that's in season nine. Which we also watched in preparation. That is the episode where it is revealed that beloved side character Principal Seymour Skinner is in fact an imposter named Armin Tanzarian. <laughs> And the episode ends with them literally putting the real Skinner, roping him to a train, putting him off, and a judge saying, no one shall ever speak of this again under penalty of torture. Literally. And yes, that's a stupid moment. I'm not saying the perfect era is all great episodes all the way through. Sure. I'm not even saying that after the perfect era, you only have shit episodes. Because uh, I had this prepped. Literally, right after, right in season 12, the episode after HOMR, which again, I am saying is the last truly great episode. Sure. The episode right after it is Pokemon, which is the one where Marge tries to rehabilitate a convict who has this really great artistic talent. And Homer uses a trash can. He throws it at people's backs to fix their spines. Yeah, right. That's a fun episode. That's a good episode. I like that episode a lot. This isn't what I wanted. Where's the edge? I followed your napkin. No napkin could wipe the crumbs of failure from your mouth. I don't think that episode is great. The way that HOMR is. HOMR strikes the right balance between really gag-based humor. Like, the episode starts with them basically going to, like, a, a like Comic-Con-style convention, and Bart watches, like, a ridiculous anime parody, and there's a Davy and Goliath parody where Davy's building a pipe bomb to blow up a Planned Parenthood, which, when I say it aloud, it sounds like a robot chicken sketch. Or more Laurel, yeah. But, no, it's... Straight up just a side bit in a Simpsons episode. And it ends with a really beautiful Homer and Lisa moment. Because at the end of the episode, Homer decides he wants to get the crayon lodged back in his brain because he realizes that even though he is smarter, having had it removed, 
he's not happier because all of his friends hate him because he can't connect with them anymore. And he also, like, does some shit that ends up screwing them over in a certain degree because he thinks he's doing the right thing. But all the same, he he literally tells Lisa, like, he writes a letter to Lisa and says, like, I'm taking the coward's way out, but before I do, I want you to know that being smarter helped me realize how amazing you really are. And Lisa understands that while she has lost this father who she could connect with, he still loved her. And that the father she has now is different, but still that person. Right. And, you know, they hug, and Homer hugs her and continues to eat a sandwich as he's hugging her. Like, it's gaggy, but it's, 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 it's a great episode. And later in that season, we have Pokemon, we have Tennis the Menace, which is where they get a tennis court in their backyard, and fucking Venus and Serena Williams and Andre Agassi guest star. Like, it's, that's a fun episode. Like, there's a lot of really, really good episodes after that, but no great ones. Which I, I agree with. I, I, it's funny because I wrote this before really processing what you had said i also actually say that season 12 is like the last season worth watching i went a couple episodes later to simpsons safari which is eight episodes later and the reason i i said that was the end of my perfect era that is the first episode where they take the bit of a previous episode and just copy paste it because the whole thing is the Simpsons win a safari vacation getaway. And so you get a lot of the Simpsons in Serengeti Africa bits, but it is literally just, okay. We had an episode where the Simpsons went to Australia backspace, 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 Africa, which becomes a thing. It becomes a, a standard... A running gag. Fill-in-the-blank plot of... What do we want to write this week? Oh, I don't know. Let's send the Simpsons somewhere. Where do we want to send them? Oh, I don't know. Spin the globe. I mean, they already had a, the bit where they all went to New York, for instance. I think sure. that was like season six. Sure. It, it's just an extension of that. I'm looking at season 13 right now, and I think of like... Homer, the episode where Homer gets his jaw wired shut, which is a fun episode. But a lot of the other episodes as I'm scrolling through season 13 are very meh. Well, and I feel like in the perfect era, there are a lot of names that you remember because it is just like, oh my God, that's a classic episode. Um... You know, The Last Tap Dance in Springfield, Insane Clown Poppy, The Computer Wore Men's Shoes. And then, like, you get to, you you get past season 12, and it's like, okay, Homer the Mo, I've heard of that episode. And I'm literally scrolling around, and it's like, yeah, this is, like, where it it stops being so iconically memorable yeah still fine but on the downswing yeah meanwhile i pull up a rant like i just pulled up season seven because i had the tab open and here we have bart sells his soul we have lisa the vegetarian we have 
Homer the Smithers, where Mr. Burns has Smithers take a vacation and Homer goes in to replace him. And, like, these are classic episodes. These are great episodes. And I'm just ran- I just randomly picked a season in the perfect era and started scrolling. Raging Abe Simpson and his grumbling grandson in The Curse of the Flying Hellfish. <laughs> Remember the Flying Hellfish? I do. I, I went to a middle school where the logo was a flying hellfish. I just, the flying hellfish episode is burned in my brain. Simpson, can't you go five seconds without humiliating yourself? Abe's pants fall because his suspenders break, and he goes, how long was that? <laughs> yes, it is It is absolutely wonderful. And so, like, I know the, the, the other point, the other episode that people put, put a stake in, there is an episode in season 13, or season 15, rather. I forget what it is, but it's the episode with Snowball 3. It is the episode you where... love this episode. No, well, no, it's just I, I've heard so many people say that this is the one. This is the last episode you should ever watch because Snowball 2, Lisa's cat dies. She spends the entire episode trying to replace the cat and goes through like eight different cats or something and they just all keep dying. And the episode ends with a black cat that looks exactly like Snowball 2 walking up and Lisa going, oh, hello, kitty. Oh, I see you don't have a collar. I'm going to call you Snowball 2. And Seymour walks up and is like, isn't that a bit callow and and absolutely disrespectful to all of the things that just happened she goes you're quite right principal tamsarian and he just leans down pets the cat and goes snowball too (laughs) good kitty and it's a very meta like it is the reason people say this is the last episode is because they are doubling down on the thing of like okay it does not matter what happens in an episode anymore the status quo is whatever it was before the episode started. Yeah. And the timeline has continued to shift. I, I, I recall recently there was something about how, like, they, I guess they recently had an, another episode that flashed back to when Homer and Marge were in high school. Right. And Homer is now, like, going through a grunge phase because with the sliding time scale, he now went to high school in the 90s. When the original one was in the late 70s and he was playing, um, what's his face, the Joker. Steve Miller Band. Yeah, he was playing Steve Miller Band again. Some people call me a space cowboy. Yeah. Some people the gangster club. High with Barney. Yeah, and people, so people gave that shit, but... The timeline of The Simpsons literally never made sense. Sure. Because and, and I will say this explicitly, because Homer is stated to be 38 years old in the series, which means that Bart at 10 would have been born when Homer was 28, which means that Homer and Marge would have graduated high school, dated for 10 years, then gotten pregnant with Bart. Which is not the way that they ever tell that story. The way that they tell that story is Homer and Marge get pregnant the first year that Marge is in college right after high school. The timeline has never (laughs) properly made sense. Right. But here we are. I'm I'm I want to move on to what your notes were and what and the points that you wanted to make, but I'm just gonna say the decline or the rest of the show. After season 12, episode 9, you st- again, you still have 
some good episodes. You still have some moments, but you that's the point where it starts hitting its, well, they've done everything now. Sure. You mentioned the, refer, the references back to the Armin Tanzarian moment, which at that point, they literally have an episode that is referencing back to the point that a lot of people say the show jumped the fucking shark. Some okay episodes followed this. Homer's hunger strike, the episode where he gets his jaw wired shut, the one where Bart and Lisa are both moved into the third grade. Fine episodes, fine stuff, but nothing that really hits like that perfect period. I will argue that this is the way to largely think of The Simpsons. The show has run for 30 some odd years. I have seen some stray episodes here and there in later seasons. They are fine. I don't think the show is bad. However, I do not feel any need really to watch past those first 12-ish seasons. And really, I don't feel any need to revisit the first season. So really, I have about 10 or 11 seasons right there where I am honestly looking to just keep my focus. And with that, I have an era that has largely helped define my sense of comedy, my sense of humor, my my existence as a millennial with some degree of care for pop culture. And I think that's great. And you know, I was about to say, side note, that is so much longer than a lot of shows get. Yeah. But as I'm sitting here thinking about it, there is something about animated cartoons where they just will not die. Bob's Burgers is on its 12th season. Family Guy's on like its 20th or something. SpongeBob's on like its 21st. SpongeBob's gotten a reboot and come back and gone away and come back again. American Dad's still going. Rick and Morty's getting a season six. South Park is on like season 25. Really, the only one that ever ended was like BoJack Horseman. And they keep trying to cancel Futurama and it literally keeps coming back. Premiering uh, on Hulu next year. Jesus. Is that a reboot or is that just a continuation? Oh, it, I don't think they could ever reboot it. I think it's just... That show has... After the way that show ended? Uh, that Futurama has jumped networks like... Eight times. Anyway. I would like to discuss, since you brought this through an academic sense, and I really thank you for that because... I think it's a lot of stuff that like people don't think about and, and a way to think the, think about the show that I really enjoy. But what I wanted to bring to this was our own personal reflections of the show The Simpsons. Why is it our favorite? Why? How is it that it came to define both your and my sense of comedy? And so to start with that, like I, I can only speak for myself and then you know I, I want to give credit for you to speak on your behalf. This show, The Simpsons, literally represents a journey of maturity and my parents' sense of trust in me to decide what my entertainment values were. Tell that story. I was always aware of The Simpsons. Like, I, I think the first time I ever, like, I just knew what it was. I, I knew what it was before I had conscious memory. And for all of my childhood, it was this incredibly taboo concept that I was strictly not allowed to watch or enjoy. My dad was a Fox News guy. My, my dad watched Fox a lot. 
was, still is, unfortunately. But I can recall any time where like the the local cable schedule would tie the Simpsons after the nightly news. Mm-hmm. We'd be sitting around dinner. The heavenly chorus would play. And before you got to the chalkboard gag, my parents would have turned the show off. Real talk, I remember this because you had Fox News at 5. And then you would have the episodes of the Sim- you'd have reruns of The Simpsons run every weekday at six and six thirty. I remember this exactly, exactly. So, and it was it was that and South Park. And my dad likes to watch South Park, but he didn't like The Simpsons. So, like I I would catch snippets of South Park, but The Simpsons was dead out. It was strictly forbidden. I think I told you they, those are the only two shows my parents ever like forbade me from watching i i did not remember that well here's the thing they were bad at it i i love you guys you were bad at enforcing um any of this because i i distinctly remember there was one time where i mooned my sister (laughs) and i guess she told my parents like oh yeah no he got that from the simpsons because she had sat with me when i watched the bart uh, goes to Australia episode mm. where he moons the Prime Minister of Australia. Sure. I'm amazed that you wrote that straight on your butt. <laughs> um, and she's like, he got that from The Simpsons. So my parents were like, okay, you're grounded from watching The Simpsons. That lasted like four days. Sure. They did not follow through. The other one was South Park, which my mother, I think, had like seen a news report about how it was terrible for children. So she was like, you're not allowed to watch South Park. And I was like, okay. But then she would go to bed at 9, and South Park was on at 10, and I had a TV in my room, so I just watched it with the volume really low. Sure. So it never mattered. I did not have a TV in my room, and my dad was a bigger night owl than I was, at least when I was a little kid. So it was always just like, I'm going to watch South Park, you go to bed now, or... Oh, the Simpsons theme song is on? Okay, we're turning that off. The only one they never really cared about for some reason was King of the Hill. Which I think I talked about on our King of the Hill I think episode. So. Uh, but anyway, it, it, it was verboten. It, it was not a thing that I was allowed to enjoy. The Simpsons, What I guarantee you what happened is my mom heard about this at church. Oh, The Simpsons is a bad show. Oh, it's going to teach your kid to square. It, it, it has violence in it. And my mom was like, okay, we're not doing The Simpsons. I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? <laughs> exactly. Um, then my family moved to Florida the first time. When I was like 10, so this was like 2002-ish, and in an act of angsty teen defiance, I demanded to be allowed to watch the show as recompense for being taken from my home in Colorado. (coughs) It played at an earlier time, my dad wasn't home yet, and just basically one day I got home from a summer camp, found it was on, and turned to my mom and was like, I'm watching this, and that's that. And through guilt or being too tired to argue with a tween, I don't know, my mom allowed it and eventually did a full 180. Because within a few short years, Simpson paraphernalia became an incredibly easy gift. I was collecting the show's seasons as they were released on DVD, years before streaming, mind you. Um, I had the giant 200-character poster. My mom went and got it, like, nicely framed. 
Like, I remember this really heavy, really nice blue metal frame that it got hung above my bed. We got all the Simpsons video games. I was allowed to get Simpsons comic books. Because of that, I have a much more generous take on the first, uh, on seasons two and three than you do, because I would just watch these things over and over and over and over and over again. Because you had the DVDs? Because I had the DVDs. And the jump in quality between season one and two is just so stark. And I would stake season three, episode one, is when the show gets comfortable with itself, if not perfect. Which is ironic to know now that that is when Groaning left. Uh, I don't think... I think Matt Groaning was like Stephen Moffat in that he was very good at creating things. But not so great at running them. Sure. Like, you really did... But okay, all right. I think it's fascinating that it was a moment of maturity for you. Well, and maybe that's me trying to make it something more than it was, but it was a it was a very clear delineation between, like, a moment in Colorado Springs where The Simpsons comes on, and I go, oh, please, can I watch it? I want it. And my parents go, no. To a moment living in Jupiter, Florida. Oh, God. Yeah, maybe that was part of why, too. A moment living in Jupiter, Florida, The Simpsons coming on at like 3.30 instead of 6, and just just literally just being like, I am watching this now. And my mom being like, fine. Yeah. I, I remember The Simpsons being a show that like, my sister would watch it intermittently. I don't think it was like, super her vibe um but i remember her watching it on occasion i i don't know why i got really really into it from a moderately young age probably eight or nine sure and i just remember being at a point where like i remember sitting on a playground in the fifth grade and just trading simpsons quotes with people which you know is is kind of a millennial greeting to a certain extent especially now you know and even now i i follow instagram accounts that are just reposts of gifs of the simpsons Mm -hmm. i have been on frankiac many a time it's kind of my go-to if i want to find like just a hilarious response to something. And and for those of you who don't know, Frankiac is a show where, or not a show, is a website where you can go on and you can type in any Simpsons quote and it will find the quote, it will find the moments from those Simpsons episodes and it will be able to give it to you in GIF form. And you can download that GIF and you can place it wherever you want on the internet and it is fantastic i argue that is probably the reason why we have so many viral simpsons memes is because frankiac is available because someone just uploaded all of the simpsons to this website with text and made it so that we could all just take our favorite simpsons gags and just straight up put them up online and share them I have never heard of this site, but I am on it now, and this is delightful. You've never heard of Frankiac? No. Oh, my God. Named after the character uh, Professor, Professor Frank. Frank. Yeah. Um, who is just a Jerry Lewis impersonation from Hank Azaria. 
But I oh no, if you are a Simpsons fan and you don't know about Frankiac, I highly recommend go on there, type in any Simpsons quote you want. It's just it's it's just in there. Oh, Ichi and Scratchy Land open for business. Who are you to resist it, huh? Come on, my last paycheck bounced. My children need wine. Yeah, I'm gonna have a lot of fun with this later. <laughs> That's delightful. I love that. Um, but yeah, so before we move on, did you have any other like personal anecdotal things about The Simpsons? You know, The Simpsons, I, you know, I shouted you out earlier in this episode, David, but, um, you know, my best friend David and I, The Simpsons was a cornerstone for my relationship with one of my best friends. Mm. We spent so much time watching The Simpsons, talking about The Simpsons. This man has dedicated his life to watching every episode of The Simpsons. Which I gotta say, David, I go forward, brother. I do not, I, I cannot follow. He has, I don't know how many seasons on DVD and just has played them in his house. When I have been over to his house, with his like children running around and everything, he's just got episodes of The Simpsons just playing on DVD. Sidebar: I do dearly love how FXX, the channel, like as their dying last grasp as a satellite TV thing, they purchased the rights to The Simpsons and then agreed to play the entire show up until that point in its entirety. So there was this week-long Simpsons marathon, and at any time of day, this is when I was in college, at any time of day, you could go to the FXX channel, and it would be playing Simpsons, and it was amazing. <sighs> Basically, Pluto TV before it was invented. I have told this story on the podcast. I know that I have. But this is maybe the most meaningful story I can give with The Simpsons. In 2014... I got into graduate school and I moved from Florida from the house that I lived in since I was five years old because I lived at home all the way through college and I lived at home after so that I could save money for graduate school and I was moving to graduate school. I was going to Rutgers. I was moving from Florida to New Jersey and I went up and I went up via train and my parents flew up to meet me and I, and I had my car with me all loaded up and I had to be there a little bit early for, to move into my apartment and because I had a practicum class and that started before the school year and everything. And we got in, we, we got up there and, bef and, and we spent a couple of days in Connecticut uh, at my uncle's house. I have an uncle who lives in Connecticut and we go to we, we go there and we go to the house and we've been traveling I've been traveling for two days at this point like I had an overnight on a train then I drove to the airport to pick up my parents who were flying up and I had my car loaded up with literally everything I owned minus two plastic bins that are still living in my parents attic like everything I own is in this car we go to Connecticut we go to my uncle's house that I haven't been in since I was like 12 years old when only went to go visit last and I'm, I'm sitting there in the guest room and my uncle and aunt, and my parents um, decide they're going to go out to the casinos just, you know, to have fun. They ask me if I want to go and I'm like, honestly, no, I, I, I want to rest. It's, it's been a lot of travel. 
And I said goodbye to all my friends. I said goodbye to you. I said goodbye to my partner who I at that point had been with for, um, you know, art about six years. Like I said goodbye to all my best friends. I said goodbye to David, this very same friend who I referenced here. And I was realizing that I didn't know exactly when I was going to see them next. And I was never moving back to Florida. I knew that about myself, but it was such a change. And I remember sitting in my uncle's guest room. And I turned on the TV and I flipped over to FXX and they were playing in every Simpsons ever marathon. And I sat there and I watched the Simpsons. And I thought, I thought a lot of things, but I experienced the change in my life right then. I knew that I had no idea what was going to happen. I wept, I literally wept and cried because I was changing my life for the first time that I could reasonably understand. And I'm watching The Simpsons. And uh, the episode I remember is Brother from Another Series, which I already referenced here. It's the episode where David Hyde Pierce guest stars, Kelsey Grammer's back as Sideshow Bob, um, Sideshow Bob's going straight. Cecil, David Hyde Pierce's character, his, his brother is like giving him a job at this dam and then there's yeah, this whole reverse right. betrayal thing and, and Sideshow Bob is trying to like save Bart. And I remember watching this episode, which I've seen a million times, and I get to the gag where Sideshow Bob and Bart jump from the top of the dam and they're falling and they're falling and they're like, oh! and they land and Sideshow Bob has his groin basically impacted (laughs) on the water vestibule of this dam and he slides upside down and they fall and I laughed and I needed to laugh in that moment I'd seen that moment a hundred times I knew that episode backwards and forwards But I laughed in that moment. And I remember taking a picture of it with my phone, and I think I posted it on Instagram, and I was just like, I needed this. I needed this moment here. I needed this show that is foundational to me. And I needed it to be there for me in that moment where everything was changing. But I knew I still had this. And I would always have this. This stupid moment from a random episode of a TV show that I loved. And I felt okay for the first time in probably 36 hours at that point. So that's what The Simpsons has meant to me personally. And thank you. I was trying to goad that out of you without forcing you to have to tell it. I, not, not, you no, son of a bitch. No hyperbole. That is one of my favorite stories you have ever said anywhere. Thank you again. I, I, I want to, as we wind down, it's hard to talk about why we love The Simpsons so much and how it's one of the greatest shows without actually getting into the thing that we love. And I, I think the best way to talk about The Simpsons is to talk about the characters. Because I think everybody has a favorite member of the Simpson family 
and a favorite resident of Springfield, or at least a couple. Mm. So we can go back and forth. I'll I'll tell you I've been thinking about this in the back of my head, and I I have a few moments as to why for each of my answers. Uh, I'm happy to go first if you'd like, but let's talk about who our favorite members of the Simpson family are. So I can go first on the family. The town is going to be a little harder for me. Okay, I'm going to tell you what. You go first with the family, I'll go first with the town. My favorite member of the Simpsons family, and this should not be a surprise, is Lisa. Mm -hmm. Lisa Lisa is a definition character for me. We both appeared on Dan's podcast, Character Progression, which I don't even know if that's still running. Um, but you appeared on an episode talking about the Joker. I appeared on an episode talking about Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. And I always meant to follow up with him because I wanted to do a second episode and I wanted to talk about Lisa Simpson. Mm, sure. Lisa Simpson is a gifted child. Um, she is the one who tells Homer that often as intelligence increases, happiness declines. Lisa actually in a season one episode is depressed and Marge doesn't know what to do with Lisa's depression. Lisa is a musician in a family of people who don't properly understand it. Homer and Bart often yell at her to stop practicing her saxophone because it's so loud, but then ultimately will also support her when it matters. Lisa is a vegetarian. Um, Lisa, as a vegetarian, was, like, I don't want to say it was the reason that I went vegetarian, but it was something I thought about a lot when I went vegetarian, more than I think most people would expect. Sure. Lisa is a character who is constantly insecure and unsure of herself, but also has passion, has drive, loves reading, loves learning, cares so deeply about the people in her life but also knows that to find her own happiness she often needs to place herself forward in a way that would make those people uncomfortable lisa simpson is both an ideal for me but also a sign of the struggles that i experienced Mm. as Frankly, as a, you know, neurodivergent, possibly on the spectrum, highly intelligent, highly socially awkward individual. Sure. Lisa Simpson means the world to me. I love Lisa. And Lisa's stories are some of the best episodes of the entire show. So I will easily say Lisa Simpson, my favorite episode, my favorite character now, in the lo- entire family. Okay, and thank you. Now level with me. Do you not like the Thanksgiving episode because it's very hard on Lisa and she gets very sad? No, I don't like the Thanksgiving episode <laughs> because I think it's boring. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well thank you. I-, I always said she was gifted. Definitely from our side of the family, right mom? Leave me alone. I, I love that answer. My favorite, I, I don't necessarily connect with a member of the Simpsons family in the same way that you do. And, and I'm interested to see if you think that this is me um, cheating a little bit and having a loophole. But my favorite member of the Simpsons family is Grandpa Abe. Go on. There is just something so 
comedically appealing about a somewhat senile, angry old man. And Abe Simpson, like, perfected that character trait and that trope of being somebody who, like, at any given moment, maybe doesn't know where he is. Maybe doesn't know who's around him. I am the Lindbergh baby. Ah, ah, goo, goo. Me, Miss Fly Fly, dad, dad. Are, are you trying to distract us or are you just senile? Oh, a little from column A, a little from column B. I've always loved Abraham Simpson's stuff the most. Um, you know, it's it's... Kind of a, a popular gif, him walking into a whorehouse, and he sees Bart is the It's a one. burlesque house thing. Okay, you. a burlesque house, and he sees Bart is the, like, checker in her, and just walks in a circle, whistling, doesn't break stride, walks back out. Him he, him often screaming to watch Matlock at inappropriate times. Matlock! Um... Often misplacing his teeth. I think one of the first gags is he he's babysitting uh, Bart and Lisa. He falls asleep. They take his teeth and put it inside the dog's usual <laughs> helper. I seriously did consider. It's weird because I I wanted I, I considered calling Abe an ancillary character and calling him one of my favorites in there. Oh, but he definitely has his moments. Well, so he is he is right on. He is a Simpson. But he is not in every episode. He's not a, like, cornerstone member of the family. Yeah. He's not one of the five. That's fair. If, if I had to pick a member of the five Simpsons who are in every single episode, probably Homer, just because I, I think a lot of his <coughs> stupidity moments are the best. But to go back to Abe, there's something about the character where they didn't really know what else to do with Abe Simpson so they kept giving him these elderly love interests <laughs> and it was always really sweet actually there's one where he gets into a love triangle with Mr. Burns and this woman at the retirement center who like Abe falls deeply in love with but then Burns kind of sweeps her off her feet isn't that Mrs. Bouvier isn't that Marge's mother you're right yes yeah it is Marge's mom because they have the the graduate moment where he's banging on the Mrs. Door. Bouvier <laughs> yes I love it very very much yeah so like Abe is just I often find myself laughing at anything Abe Simpson is doing. We were watching the Seymour Skinner Armin Tanzarian episode, up, and he is—he's he, he hits on Agnes. He's randomly hitting on Agnes Skinner, and she just goes, "In your dreams, Buster." He goes, "Okay, let's find out." And immediately passes out and starts dreaming about her in the same context. I love <laughs> Abe Simpson. Uh, I'm not mad about Abe as a favorite character. When I was a boy, teachers would wrap my knuckles with a yardstick. Now you've got the metric system. We don't have the metric system. What? This isn't Sweden? And I'm not King Olaf? Oh, I got some explaining to do down at the bank. Not having the same connection. I, I was never... Enough of a delinquent to be into Bart. I'm not a dad, so it, it, I think I think it's hard for anyone to relate to Homer. I, I don't see how anyone could ever say Marge is their favorite. Maggie's fine. Maggie's a baby. My favorite 
resident of Springfield. My favorite side character who is not blood related to one of the main characters. I had to think about this a lot because I've, I've honestly, I've got a couple. Um, I dearly love um, Troy McClure. Go on. Famous character actor Troy McClure. As well as Lionel Hutz. I deeply love and miss... The Phil Hartman one? Yes, because I deeply love and miss Phil Hartman. Phil Hartman. And his characters were amazing. (laughs) Lionel Hutz as the, like, perfect, disheveled, his life is on fire, civil defense attorney who will work for a buck and literally stop mid-sentence with a client to go ambulance chasing. <laughs> like, he's got, a, he's got a quote where he gets off the phone and he finds out, all right, I just found out my license was unsuspended. Care to join me in a belt of scotch? <laughs> Mr. Hutz, it's 9.30. Yes, but I haven't slept in days. <laughs> oh, my God. Troy McClure is less of a character and more of a really good bit. Because <laughs> I just love, hi, I'm Troy McClure, and you might recognize me from list three random things, ran, like vaguely associated to whatever he's in now. That's just a fun way to list off three things in a funny manner. Yeah. That is not my answer. I, I dearly love the Phil Hartman characters. Um, I have a soft spot for Reverend Lovejoy for some reason. I think it's just the deadpan you, You've checked out the same Bible every day for 18 years. Wouldn't it be easier to just buy one? Perhaps. On a librarian's salary. Marge, have you ever actually read this thing? Technically, we're not allowed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Still not my answer. My favorite characters are the Wiggums. Go on. Ralph Wiggum, Lisa's classmate, is maybe the stupidest person in Springfield. In a city with Homer Simpson. Me fail English? That's impossible. (laughs) He is just simple and joyous for it and bright. The one time he gets his heart broken and, like, has any character depth, it's a wonderful moment. Um... I'm in danger is like a really prevalent meme that has outlived anything else about the character. Ralph is just delightful. And I love Clancy Wiggum. ACAB, he's the chief of police, and ACAB, and all cops are bastards, even animated ones. And he is so goddamn stupid. <laughs> Oh, chocolate. Nothing gets that out. See? See? (laughs) Points to his uniform. (coughs) Oh, oh God. Hello? Uh, Yeah, Mrs. Simpson, I have some bad news. Your husband was found DOA. Oh, my God, he's dead? Oh, wait, I mean DWI. (laughs) I always get those two mixed up. Chief Wiggum is just a great source of joy for me. One of my, maybe my favorite moment in the entire show. It's not exactly a Wiggum quote, but it is a Wiggum moment. It's Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 1. It's the very end where Burns has been shot and the townspeople have gathered and are trying to figure it out. And Dr. Hibbert turns directly to camera and goes, well, I can't possibly solve this mystery. Can you? And then he's pointing to the camera, and then it pans around and it shows he's actually pointing at Wiggum, and he goes, 
Ah, I bet, guess I better give it a shot. It is my job and all. That is my favorite Simpsons moment, period. I think that is the funniest joke they've ever done. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call that the funniest joke they've ever done, but my I do favorite joke. At the very I, I do appreciate it. So, that is my answer for Simpsons side characters. Who have you got? Uh that is so difficult to pick, like, one. I know. Oh, I know. <coughs> I, I just listed, like, five. Yeah, no. Like, I... If I have to sit and I have to really ponder it, I think... I think the character that I am most excited for there to be an episode about is probably Sideshow Bob. Sure. Because Sideshow Bob doesn't have a lot of episodes. He's voiced by Kelsey Grammer. It's probably expensive. Hard to get. But I think of episodes with Sideshow Bob. I think of moments with Sideshow Bob. I think of the rake gag. I think of the... That was Edna Krabappel. You only get one chance with Edna Krabappel. I hope you are happy. <laughs> the Bart, the... I, I, I just... The... It's so exciting to be going out with a killer. To be fair, I never actually successfully killed anyone. <laughs> Attempted murder. What kind of crime is that? Do they give out Nobel Prizes for attempted chemistry? Shut your word hole. We gotta get this place clean for the air show. Air show? Buzz-cut Alabamians spewing colored smoke from their whiz jets to the strains of rock you like a hurricane? What kind of country-fried rube is still impressed by that? It's a very good answer. I, I, like, gun to my head, I'm probably gonna say, and here's the problem. Tomorrow, I might say Millhouse. Oh, I, yeah, I get it, absolutely. Like, tomorrow, I, I, I might just be like, oh, these, these pants are so high. Oh, it worked. The, my, my soles are soaking wet, but my cuffs are bone dry. <laughs> Everything's coming up Millhouse. I might say Reverend Lovejoy. I might say Ned Flanders. I totally get it. I in a week, I'll probably be saying Mo, looking at his news, saying, Not today, old friend. <laughs> I think, trust me, I thought of Mo, where I'm just like, Wait, that reminds me. And he runs into the back room, and there's a killer whale being hosed down. He's like, The jig is up. Get him back to SeaWorld. <laughs> FBI. It is a show built on the characters, and all the characters are dear and wonderful and amazing. I completely get that it's a near-impossible task to list a favorite one, but I thank you for giving an answer. Uh. So, just to close us out, the final question I have, <coughs> we kind of started touching on this at the end of you know your, your talk about the eras, and I, I, I think it's a prevalent question. We can agree the show has absolutely outlived its prime. Yeah. Why do you think it is still going? Because it is still going. And, and like, Julie Kavner can't even do the Marge voice anymore. 
It sounds different. It looks too clean for my taste. The cast basically demanded like 150, 175% raises and they got them, which good on them for getting them. But just like I sit here and I go, I don't, I don't know why this show needs to be anymore. I don't know who is sitting here, sitting down to see to Simpsons season 34 and going, oh boy, another one, I guess, David. I think that there is one thing that you and I are very bad at considering. And that is the world beyond the internet. Hmm. The fact that there are people who do not go on Twitter or TikTok every day. The fact that there are people who live as Richard Nixon once said, lives of quiet dignity. Who I think are still tuning in on Fox. Hmm. I think that the show is still turning a profit. The sales of it to FXX and then eventually now that it's on Disney Plus, I mean, I'd be very interested to see the back numbers on Disney Plus to see how many people are streaming past season 9, 10, 11, 12. Sure. I'd be very curious to see those numbers. Um... But as far as continuing to churn out new products, it's still selling merch. Maybe if no one else is watching, it's still selling merch, and that might be enough to keep selling the contract. Probably. That's that's fair. You know, we I I, I wanted to talk, and we're not really gonna have much time about it, talk about other Simpsons media, but you know, it is it is a media empire. I, oh, I, I still remember the old arcade game. The arcade games the games for GameCube, Simpsons Hit and Run, which is a beloved PlayStation classic. The comic books, which were never good, but were like, or, or, or never great, but were good. Oh, and I, mean, I was reading at the same time I was watching the show. I mean, even before yours and my time, there. do you, do you recall Do the Bartman? Yes, I know the concept of Do the Bartman. Okay, so Do the Bartman, like... Again, before yours and my time, but I remember my sister telling me about how Do the Bartman was the fucking biggest goddamn thing in culture for a minute. And I was just a little too young for it. Sure. But she remembers it. And she's five years older than me. I was born the year that The Simpsons as a full-on series started. Yeah. It's older than you are. It is. And so I, it's past its heyday, yeah, but as a cultural influence, it still exists. It still is out there. I think there's Gen Z kids who maybe don't view, I don't think they're watching the new episodes. And maybe they don't view it with the same, you know, nice lenses that we do, but they've revisited a lot of that through the old memes. Sure. The same way they rediscovered Friends and the same way that they rediscovered Seinfeld and to a lesser degree Frasier and a lot of those older shows, a lot of those have cachet with Gen Z. And I think The Simpsons is part of that legacy. So I think it's still going. I think it 
got enough goodwill out of those first 10 or 12 seasons. That's a fair, that's a very fair point. I was not really considering that it has legitimately continued to ride that high. Fair. I mean, at this point, it, it seems very clear that like Hank Azaria is going to have to die <laughs> for that show to go off the air. I mean, maybe. And even then, like we might just get a new bunch of like impressionists and we'll get, we'll get a reboot. God forbid. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> At least another movie. It's been like, what, 13 years since the movie? Yes. Yes, it has. So it's it's a theme park at Universal Studios. It's a play. I've talked about it. A really wonderful play, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, which is like not even funny. It's actually kind of like chilling in a way, but it's a really amazing play that The Simpsons is a core component of the plot for. You can read that. Um, it is a, a media touchstone, and I, I want it to be done so that it can end on its own terms before Hank Azaria or Julie Kavner die. Um, it got greenlit for a 34th season, but who's to say? But as it is, and the whole point we've talked about it, it is truly an amazing show, a testament of comedy in writing and character building and all of these things. It is one of the greatest animated programs of all time, bar none, I feel confident saying. I'd say it's one of the greatest programs of all time. You know what? Fair. Yes, it should have ended 20 years ago. But you know what? I love those early seasons enough that I'm not even upset. And maybe if it had, we wouldn't be talking about it in the same way. Maybe. Maybe it's immortality as part of the long-lastingness. In any case, thank you for joining us, dear listeners. Uh, can I can I make a pitch for how to close out this episode? Yeah, go for it. I don't think I've told you about this. Did I tell you I wrote a poem feature, featuring Simpsons characters? Oh, goodness, when? I don't think I knew about this. This was fairly recent. It's still oh, in then, draft form. Then, yeah, I, I have not heard this. You want me to close out on a poetry reading? If you feel comfortable doing so. All right. So this is something I submitted uh, to my writer's group some time ago, and I've been working on editing. So it is in draft form, but I think it's appropriate for this. Admittedly, it's sad, but... Eulogy at the Funeral of Homer Simpson, given by Maggie. As you all doubtlessly recall, my father was a talker. The smooth fist of his mouth never failed to open, as often to offer something of meh value as to intake anything that might fit. That's how you remember him anyway. For some little girls, a father is a hero. Or at least that's the story my sister would grumble into his chest when we would flip him onto his back. Doctor's orders if we wanted him to live through the night. Understand me. I've no interest in speaking ill about the dead. I speak only because 
We lived our teenage years with a husk as empty as our bellies. I loved him like a diagnosis. He made everything wrong with my body, my head, the teeth that never sat straight. The 11th year of my life, I still can't recall from too much trauma and duff. He made all of it make sense. The Homer you knew died with the nasal snort of Chief Wiggum's voice on the phone, my mother and brother. In past tense, the unplowed snow turned black ice beneath their wheels, engine block a skirt around the old lemon tree. Some men should never raise girls. Lisa gave stories of his fingers viced around my brother's throat. I can hardly imagine a time he'd have had the strength. How many of you have counted the days it takes a man to starve from grief? The last story for all of us, even those who've seen the ocean floor and stars alike up close is someone wiping cold drool from our lips and thanking each of God's five fingers that we passed in our sleep. Even then, and maybe it's selfish, but now I stand before all of you Springfield and wonder at my words. I spoke for my father now all these years since my sister put a set of pearls and a broken drawstring crusty doll onto my bedside table, took her saxophone and my bronzed pacifier into the night. What is it now to speak, to live, to be, when from my first word I have always done it for him? Sweet Jesus, Alex. I really love The Simpsons, you guys. <laughs> um, on that note, I, I... Is this a poem in which it is established that Marge and Bart die in a car accident? And Homer is incapable of taking care of Lisa and Maggie. I'm, I'm going to find a quote to put in here. I'm going to find a nice, light-hearted Simpsons moment, but damned if I can think of one now. Uh. <laughs> Hello, David. I'm really tempted. Just take it one day at a time and know that I love you. I love you too, man. Where are the dice? Daddy says dice are wicked. We just move one space at a time. <laughs> Thank you for that, Alex. Thank you for this entire conversation. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening in on us on one of our special episodes wherein we really focus the lens on one particular topic. Normally, we take yours or the Internet's relationship questions, and we are happy to do that for all of our episodes moving forward, except for the ones that end in five. 
If you have those questions, you can send them to love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. That's right. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even TuneIn Radio. Hey, Mom. Um, thanks for re- being really bad at grounding me from watching The Simpsons. <laughs> you can also uh, rate and or review us on any and or all of those shows. We're told it helps people find the show. That's right. You can follow me, Andy Bowell, at JoboCop2113. You can find my Warhammer and other mini uh, assembly journey on Andy's underscore minis. You can find my other podcast, Cult Fiction, where we will probably never watch the Simpsons movie, but you could maybe make an argument for it. Uh, I do that with the incomparable Stephanie Johnson, and that is Cult Fiction. You can find it everywhere you find LHR. That's right. I completely forgot to plug that uh, the show has a Twitter, LHR Pod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D. You can send us your questions there as well and follow us to keep up with whatever we're tweeting about. And now it's just going to be Simpsons memes. Absolutely. Pretty much all the way through. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LieChess, or Chess.com at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z. Thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, we so appreciate it. I've almost lost my voice at this point. <coughs> but absolutely, we appreciate you. As ever, please... Tell your enemies. I'm going to cut most of that, but I just got Alex to laugh so hard he nearly died.